Good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live stream or live, I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and we really are all walking on eggshells. And as we think about uh, all the eggshells we walk on, whether it has to do with national global issues or more particularly the issues inside so many of our own homes and families, uh, my, my prayer is that today's talk, which is called Land of Confusion, will be really helpful for a lot of you and for all of us. Our guides throughout this series on walking on eggshells are two ancient men, David and Saul. We can find their stories, if you have your Bible with you, their stories are in the, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, part of the history section of the biblical library. It's a, a history book from about 1000 BC, so 3000 years ago. And if you have your Bible with you, just locate 1 Samuel chapter 18, keep your finger there. We will be getting there and we will be digging into it in, in just a little bit. And if your Bible's not here or your, you don't have a Bible near you on the live stream, it's okay. All the words will appear at just the right time up on the screen like they always do so that you can have your own encounter with the Scripture. Because we believe, you, you may not be sure where you stand on this yet, but we believe at Good Shepherd that, the, that in a way beyond our comprehension, God breathed his life into the words of the biblical library. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. And because we believe that, and this happens whether you're watching at home or whether you're gathered at Moss or Zor campuses, when we're talking about the Bible, we do this kind of odd thing. We lift it up. And, and, it, and if you are new here or new tuning in, you're like, there's all those phones in the air and Bibles in the air. That's just a little bit strange. And we admit it. But we have decided that even though it's a little bit strange, it's a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We are a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and eager for its power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? And so before I say any other words, let's pray. So God, thank you for this marvelous, fascinating ancient story and, and how it continues to be so remarkably relevant in our lives today. And I ask God that you would fill me with a fresh pouring out of the Holy Spirit and you would do the same with all the ears and minds and hearts of people within the sound of my voice. Do this, Lord. I am again powerless without you. But because of you, I'm never helpless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if, uh, if you are at all like me, there are times, maybe a lot of times, when life is just plain confusing and, and the, like the, the, the land you're living in, it feels like you are in a land of confusion. And, and a lot of times when our culture tries to make things more clear, it, it actually creates some more confusion. Like I'll show you some examples. Check it out up on the screen. Like uh, trying to tell you there's a, what, what is that sign? It says sale, sale, but it, it kind of fails the clarity test. Or another one, major accident, left lane closed. Use left lane. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah. 
And then uh, fine for failure to read this. If, if you can't read this sign, we're going to penalize you for your inability to read. And then maybe my favorite, I'm not sure if this affects me or affects me. I can never figure that out. So I just use the word impact to get away from it altogether. And yeah, so many things in life are just plain confusing. And, and come on, there, there's more. If you live in the Charlotte area, you, you may have lived here for just a short time, or, or you may have lived here for decades, or you're tuning in on live stream and you've never been here. But anyone who's been here for any length of time, you know this. This has happened to you. You're driving along Sharon Road. Whoa, there's another one. And there's another one. I mean, there's Sharon Amity, there's Park Sharon, there's Sharon Road West, there's Sharon Stone for all I know. There is so much confusion just driving around the city of Charlotte with all these Sharons. And, and, and I suppose I've, I've been on the receiving end of confusion more than a time or two, been a couple of times. You may, might think this is weird, but it happened more than once. People thought I was a dead ringer for the actor Kevin Spacey which was kind of cool when he was just a good actor. And then it wasn't cool at all when he got arrested. That stopped being cool real, 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 real quick. And then, and then masks, come on. Masks don't help either, do they? I, on more than one occasion, including just shortly before this 9 a.m. Eastern time service started, I've gone up to people and started having a conversation with them like old friend conversation. And the person will pull down their mask and say, excuse me, but who are you again? And <laughs> turns out it's their first time at church that we'd never met before. It's, it, it is so, so confusing. We are surrounded by confusion. We live in a land of it. Confusion is a reality. But confusion is something else. Confusion is a weapon. Confusion is laser-guided artillery in our lives. Yeah, you and me and all of us have been the recipients of weaponized confusion. And you're like, well, who in the world would do that? Who would use confusion, not just as a reality, not as a lamb, but as an actual weapon? Ah, the people around whom we are walking on eggshells. Because that's where we are in this series. We all have those people in our lives. Some of us work with them. Some of us go to school with them. Some of us are married to them. A lot of us were raised by them. And these kind of people in our lives, we never know how they will react. Sometimes they react with this volatile temper. And a minute later, it's the sweetest apology. Or other times, we don't know how they're going to respond. We don't know when they'll blow. We don't know when they're going to be nice or when they're going to use distance, when they will be chill or when they will be chilling. And yeah, we are surrounded by people. They keep us off balance and they keep us off our game. We have these touchy relationships. And I know that there's a handful of you either live stream tuning in or, or, or you're at Moss or Zor and, and you're thinking, well, gee, I don't know anybody like that. Nobody treats me like that. You know why? Because you're the one. 
You're the one who keeps people in your circle of influence off balance, off their game. They have to walk on eggshells around you. And our guides for this series, as I mentioned earlier, been these two ancient men, David, the, the younger, and Saul, who is the first king of Israel in about 1000 BC. And although Saul is the, is the very first king of Israel, he, he's a wounded man, he's a troubled man, he's a weak man, frankly, and he projects all of his insecurities onto others. And, and if you're with us last week, and if you weren't, I'm so glad that you're here today and tuning in today. But if you were with us last week, Saul is, is really kind of masterful in how manipulative he is. Because when David kills Goliath, yeah, on your game, yeah. We found out that the story of David and Goliath wasn't really the story of David and Goliath. It was the story of David and Saul. And at the end of that story, David brings Goliath's head back to Saul the king, and, and he's sure he's going to get a round of applause. And instead, chapter 17, verse 58, look how Saul just undermines and belittles David's accomplishment. Whose son are you, young man? Who, I, 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 who are you again? Doesn't even give him the dignity of remembering his name. It's just masterful masterful. And, and, and we just saw that weak people will do that. They'll rob you of that applause you deserve. And so with that kind of as the background, it, it might be interesting to see, well, what happens next? David, David's had his moment of glory robbed from him, turned, turned into this epic humiliation. And so what happens next? Chapter 18, verse one, check it out. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. You might want to underline, he loved him as himself. Now, people, don't read more into this than is there. They were bros, okay? This is platonic. This is a healthy kind of love going on between the, these two guys. It's okay. And, and, and so what happens next in verse three? From that day, Saul kept David with him, huh? And did not let him return home to his family. What? You didn't know who I was 10 minutes ago. And now you can't live without me. Imagine the, the whiplash David must be feeling. Am, am I invisible or am I indispensable? I, am I vital to his life or am I annoyance in his life? And Saul obviously consciously keeps him off balance, keeps him in this state of perpetual what? Confusion. What, what am I to this guy? And it's, he's weaponizing confusion. And, and notice something else did not let him return home to his own family. Whoo! Some of you might be in the middle of a situation like this and you don't even realize it. That I have seen this, especially in new romances and whether there is a new romantic partner or even a new mate. 
I have seen people very effectively convince their new romance that your family of origin or your circle of friends you had before I came into your life, that they were all wrong for you and now it's just you and me, baby. And what people do is they isolate you from your past to dominate you in your present. And and if I've seen it once, I've seen it a dozen times and it never ends well. There may actually be some light bulbs going on. If you have someone who just convinced you that everyone in your past was toxic and aren't you glad they've come into your life to save you? Be very, very wary of that. That's exactly what Saul is doing as this, he's not even letting David go home. Look at verse four, says this. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now this is weird. Guys don't share clothes. Can I hear an amen? Guys don't share. I've never, oh, I got a new shirt. I can't wait for to see how it looks on you. No. (laughs) Guys don't share clothes. But then I realized the clothes The clothes that Jonathan shares with David in this moment are the clothes of royalty. And Jonathan is the crown prince. His father Saul is the king, which means that Jonathan is next in line to become the next king. And yet by giving David his clothes and his sword and his bow, it's really his way of acknowledging you, David, you're the authentic king. You're the real and righteous king of Israel, not my own father, which had to be a very awkward kind of realization. And look what happens next after they they share the clothes. Verse five, whatever mission Saul sent him on, meaning David, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Really, I, I, I guess if you can kill a giant with a sling, you can lead an army with a sword. That, that's kind of the implication there. So David is rising in success and then everything, and I mean everything changes in verses six and seven. Look what happens. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that means Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Uh, oh, thank you, yeah, uh-oh. The author of 1 Samuel, who, by the way, is a genius, he just has to let us know it's the women who start celebrating the boy. And believe me, if, if you're a guy already wrestling with insecurity like Saul is, nothing adds to insecurity more than having all the girls like the other guy or the other preacher. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and so the, the, and the song, oh, David, Saul has his thousands, but David got his 10,000. That's kind of gruesome to us, but it made perfect sense to them. And Saul hears it. And look how Saul responds, verses eight and nine. 
Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. I may be adding a little bit. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, he kept a close eye on David. So this jealousy, oh, all the girls like him better than me. What is he going to want next but to take my place as the, as the king? What interests me is how does the author of 1 Samuel know what Saul was thinking? Did Saul tell him directly? Did the Holy Spirit communicate it to him directly? We don't know because it doesn't say. It's just interesting to ponder. How did this incredible author have this remarkable insight into what's going on in the mind of this wounded man? Well, what's Saul going to do with his jealousy? And, and uh, we're going to see that in, in verse 10. But before we look at it in verse 10, I, I, I just for some of you, this will in, remind you. And for others, it will inform you. But in 1 Samuel 16, we're now in 18. So 17 is the kill Goliath chapter. 16 is when David and Saul meet each other and David is a harp player. That's what a lyre is. It's a U-shaped harp. So David plays a stringed instrument. And every time in, verse, in chapter 16 that David plays, Saul is soothed. Saul goes from manic or depressive, wherever he is at the, at the ends of the poles, to soothed and anxious. It, it is the elixir. David's harp is the elixir for Saul's anxiety. This is the pattern. This happens every time. So, so remember how the harp's been used and it's music therapy, how the harp has been used and how it has been received. Look what happens next. Verse 10, the next day, well, the next day after what? The next day after all the girls like David sang a song about him. An evil spirit from God, which means allowed by God, came forcefully on Saul while he was prophesying in his house. And the word prophesying there, the word they use there, really conveys the idea of ranting. He was ranting and raving. This is not really speaking God's word or foretelling the future, but he was ranting in his own home while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. And you know, David sees Saul's ranting. He's like, oh, I got to get my harp out and calm this guy down. And what's the reaction this time to the same stimuli? Saul had a spear in his hand. Whoa, I just, where'd that spear come from? I just happened to have a spear in my hand. Verse 11, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. What? Do you see what has happened? The exact same stimuli. I'm going to play the harp. A completely different response. What had made him an object of calm now makes him a target for murder. This, this thing that had worked to soothe this wounded king now works to enrage this wounded king. The exact same stimuli, 100% different response. Why? Why? Because that's what they do. Huh? Yeah. That's what people who walk on eggshells, who make you walk on eggshells around them, that's what they do. They take that same behavior 
that same action that in one moment worked and to keep you off your game, to keep you off balance, to make you on your eggshells, to make you topple over, they give you the 100% different response. It's what they do. They end up assaulting you with confusion. And that's why for, for so many of you, that same stimuli, that same thing you used to do, like make that special meal or wear that special outfit or give that compliment or make those plans. And that same thing that you did that brought calm in one season now seems to light the fuel of their anger. And you're like, whoa, when did the rules change? When did my goalposts get moved? Why, why is this so confusing in my life? Why did this thing that used to work now causes problems? And it's because, good shepherd, it's because this is what they do. This is what those who make you walk on eggshells are experts at. Years and years, years ago, church down in Union County, I had a very nice connection with an older congregant and, and, and we, we shared a, a kind of a, a, a tradition of, of meeting together on the anniversary of the death of one of her children. And it was, it was sweet. It's kind of what being a pastor is all about. And, and, and it's kind of a nice tradition. And, and I thought there was a really good connection. And then I come to find out three or four years later that that same thing that I thought was so helpful had become this object of scorn and derision and talking behind my back about it. Why? Because I found out I was one in a long line of people with whom this same game had been played. The rules got changed. And I was just in whip. I, wh wh am I helpful or am I the enemy? Is, is this ministry or is this annoying? <laughs> Even makes me think of another guy, same location, who first six months at that church, man, staunchest ally, man, I'm on your side. We're in this together. And, four, five, six years later, he says, because Methodist preachers, and a lot, not so much anymore, but Methodist preachers move around and, and he, he goes, well, it's time for you to move. I'd been there five or six years, it's time for you to move. And I, well, why? And, and he said, because, because Jesus only stayed on earth three and a half years and then the father called him home because his humanity was starting to show through. What? What book in the Bible is that from? So I ended up staying three or four more years just so he would know he wouldn't. He didn't. <laughs> but to go from staunchest ally to just agent of confusion, it, it, it's so bewildering and you do not want, know what to do. And it's done on purpose. And maybe you were raised by someone like this. Maybe you're now married to someone like this. Maybe you work with people like this, but they do weaponize confusion. And, 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 and the end result is we don't know which way is up and we don't know which way is down. And, and so the question becomes for you and, and, and for me and for all of us, well, when we are in this kind of situation, when we recognize we are in this kind of relationship and, and probably very little good is going to come out of it, what do we do? Where, where's the hope and, and where's the help? 
And it's, it's so interesting because David's story kind of shines a light on all of that. Do you remember how in verses one and three of, of chapter 18, it, it said in verse one that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And then in verse three, it says it again, that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And I've told some of you before that anytime an ancient biblical author repeats something, it's the neon light, notice this, because writing bent the back and broke the bank. It was physically arduous labor, very expensive process. So the author's saying, notice this, notice this, Stay, uh, Jonathan loves David as he loves himself. Well, look what happens next. Look at verse 16 of 1 Samuel chapter 18. But all Israel and Judah, what? Loved David because he led them in their campaigns. In verse 20, now Saul's da daughter, Michael, Michael's a female's name here, was in love with David. Now, and you can read that. Yeah, that's how you're supposed to read that. In love, that kind of love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Now, let's count this up. Who, who is it who, who loves David? There, there's, there's Jonathan and there's everybody loves David. There's Michael and there's Jonathan and there's everybody and there's Michael. It's pretty comprehensive, this love fest for David. And who gets left out? Who's not mentioned as the recipient of any of this? Saul! He's on the outside looking in at all this love. The, the isolator becomes the isolated. And so you realize what is going on. You realize the message the author is communicating for every one of us who have ever been subjected to weaponized confusion when we've been assaulted by confusion. People use it to get leverage on us. Here's, here's what the author wants you to know. Here's what 1 Samuel chapter 18 tells us very clearly. It's this, when you are assaulted by confusion, you need to be surrounded by love. When you are in the middle of a very dangerous relationship and confusion is being weaponized against you and you don't know what's up and you don't know what's down and you don't know why this cake that you made this time resulted in this furious onslaught where before it was met with hugs and kisses, when you're kept off balance, you need those people around you who will talk you off the ledge, who will bring you back to sanity. When you play the harp and you get swords in return, you need people who will surround you with sanity. When you are assaulted by confusion, you need to be surrounded by love because you can't navigate it on your own which really makes me ask you three very pertinent questions. And, 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 and you can jot these down. We're gonna throw them up on the screen. But three questions I want you to ask yourself. And, and, and the first one is, is this, who is your entourage? Who, who do you have around you? There, there's a reason that at Good Shepherd Church, it's so vital to us that, that we want people in life groups. We want people in community. 
Because when, when the world at large and, and when the world in small in your home is confusing, you need those people around you that you're meeting with every week, every other week, who is your entourage to build you back up. So who's your entourage? And if you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't got one. You need one. Second question, who's consistent in your life? Who is there in your life who's strong in Jesus, who's consistent not only as a presence in your life, but they are consistent in their faith. And and if you're really honest with yourself, you understand they are more consistent with Jesus. They're deeper with Jesus than you are. Those are the people Those are the relationships you need to hang on to, you need to connect with and and let their consistency be your strength. Because when confusion is the weapon, community is the answer. And then the third question might be painful. Are you comfortable as a victim? Have you, through the process of years, have you become comfortable accepting what is really unacceptable? Have you come to the place where this is just the way it is that I never know how they're gonna react. Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it makes them love me. Sometimes it makes me hate me, but this is all I'm gonna do. That's all I can do. Have you become comfortable as a victim? If you have, if this question is painful, if you're like, who do you think you are asking that question? Man, I want you at that place where you surround yourself, maybe with your life group, maybe with a Christian counselor, maybe with a pastor, maybe with someone you trust, you surround yourself with that trusted voice and it may mean the end of some relationships that are killing you in the first place. But you realize, I, I, I'm not a victim. <laughs> I'm a victor. There's a reason There's a reason that Roman, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, not less than victims. And I alluded to this earlier, but some of you may be like, that's, that's, that's nice, that's interesting, Talbot, but I really don't, I don't see what it has to do with me. And maybe you're asking that question because like I mentioned earlier, you're the one on whom, around whom your friends, your family, your colleagues, your children, your mate, they walk on eggshells around you. It was years and years ago, very early in my tenure here at Good Shepherd, over 20 years ago now. And, and someone said to me, someone I was working with said, said to me, just tell us what you want. And at the time I thought it was odd. And now, 20 years of self-awareness later. Can I hear an amen for growing in self-awareness? I realized what I was doing. I was withholding my opinions. I was withholding my feelings. I was, I was kind of always operating at that level, making it extraordinarily difficult for people to read me and to know what I wanted. And, and hello, I was the pastor and the leader here and people needed to know what I want, how I wanted things to go. But I was controlling people 
by withholding my own emotions and my own opinions. And the result was a whole lot of people had to walk on eggshells around me. 20 years of self-awareness later, am I over it? Nope. Am I better? Yep. How did I get there? Ironically, the same way I'm telling you to survive, the same way I'm telling you to survive living with someone who makes you walk on eggshells by surrounding myself with an entourage of people courageous enough to tell me the hard truths about me. It's a journey that I plan to continue to take and I hope you'll go with me. When you're assaulted by confusion, you need to be surrounded by love. Let's pray. So Father, stir up courage and stir up honesty and stir up awareness in the people of Good Shepherd live and live stream and even With the song we sing now, I pray that you would use that to imprint these truths on hearts and minds and souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.